I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this. Talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. and welcome back to another episode of Thanks for Coming In. I'm your host, Jillian Clare. Y'all, if you hear my dogs freaking out in the background of this interview, I am so sorry. Uh, We had like a plumbing issue and so the plumbers got here literally in the middle of uh, the interview. So that was annoying. Um, But hopefully most of the noise has been canceled out and you don't hear them at all because let me tell you, Husky plus Malamute plus German Shepherd, very loud. It is very loud. Hey, so uh, before we get into this week's episode, well, I guess we're already in it. Okay, before we get into this week's interview, um, wanted to let y'all know I will be pre-recording the rest of July episodes as I will be on set. So just so you know that... um, I know it doesn't make much of a difference to y'all because you tune in to, to hear the fun stories, but just want to let you know if, you know, something happens in the world and I don't touch on it, it's because these were all recorded by like July 8th. Um, so there's that. And let's see, let's, let's, uh, let's just do this thing, shall we? Let's get into it. Today on the show, we have Sean Kanan. You may remember him from Karate Kid Part 3, The Bold and the Beautiful, or maybe you've seen his show Studio City, which won an Emmy last year. Uh, We have a great conversation. I've known Sean for many years, and it was awesome having him on the show. So here's our conversation. 
And welcome to the show, Mr. Sean Caden. Hi, Jillian. It's good to be here. It's good to have you on here. I feel like I have known you for a very long time, and we run in the same circles, but we've never like had a chance to sit down and talk about life. You know, I was thinking about that too, uh, and that's that's one of the really nice things about getting to do some of these interviews, podcasts with people that I know but haven't had a chance to really kind of have a, a good heart to heart with. So I was looking forward to this, despite yeah. my uh, previous technical uh, <laughs> problems. Technical problems. Listen, there's always a technical problem. I feel like even, you know, I'm two years into this and there's still sometimes there's there's still issues and I don't understand it. I just pray to the Mercury retrograde gods that the, <laughs> that it all works. <laughs> right. Um, so before we get into, um, you know, kind of what you've been working on recently and all this fantastic stuff that you've been producing yourself, I'd love to take you back and, uh, ask you, what was that like first moment that you remember of you saying, you know what, I think I'm going to try acting. Um, I think it probably started to crystallize when I was about, 15, mm. 16 years old. Um, I had started out doing some uh, some catalog modeling when I was a kid, when I was in, in high school, uh, which is not nearly as glamorous as it sounds, but <laughs> it the hell out of working at McDonald's. And I did that too yeah. for about two weeks until I got fired. <laughs> um, <laughs> kept, this is a true story. So when you work at McDonald's, there's like a process to everything. And um, I kept forgetting to put the top of the McRib sandwich on. So they would send these McRib sandwiches out. Oh, <laughs> and it no. would be the bottom. The Mc, yeah. So uh, my, my illustrious career in the food services industry was short-lived. You were low-carb um, before it was a trend. That's right. That's right. I was trying to do my part. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I... I remember I was a kid and I, I used to, you know, go to comedy clubs and I, I wasn't a, a theater nerd, although I did do some plays, but once I got to college and I, I started my political science degree at Boston University, I, I began taking a couple acting classes as electives and I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. Mm. And I, I quickly decided as I was finishing my second year at Boston University that I was going to try and transfer to UCLA because mm. I knew I either had to go to New York or I had to go to LA and I figured it was better to be broke where the sun was shining. <laughs> and so I wanted to uh, finish my poli-sci degree at UCLA and, and that allowed me to really, you know, em embark upon my acting career in earnest. That is okay. That is so funny. I am currently back in college because I never got to like finish college because I've been acting my whole life. So I'm in school now, and my degree is political science, so. Really? <laughs> yeah, there we go. So you can either get people really angry at Thanksgiving dinner, yeah. or you could become a political science professor. Exactly. You know, just something on the side. <laughs> um, that's amazing. So well, you... What I else? was just going to say, you know, I, you know, sometimes I vacillate between, do I wish I had if I, if I could have gotten in, done something like gone to Juilliard or mm -hmm. Carnegie Mellon or something like that and gotten a, um, you know, an MFA or something like that. But, you know, it's funny. I, there have been ways in my career where having um, a, a different concentration of knowledge other than 
you know, what we consider to be what you need to know about acting has, has helped me as an actor. Mm-hmm. And, and it just goes to show you that I, I think anything that you learn uh, can, can make you a stronger actor, whether it's, you know, a yeah. foreign language or something. Else. So I don't regret it. No, I mean, the thing is, is that as actors, our our number one job is to learn and be learners. And so if you only have this education based in one field, how are you going to adapt to different characters if you don't have a different life experience outside of just acting? Okay. This is, that's why I think it's so important for actors to, you know, to, to read, to watch documentaries about mm-hmm. things, to study foreign languages, and to, especially to travel. Travel you know, and, we, like, take weird classes and things that, you know, you d- wouldn't normally do. Just, you know, if your community center is doing, like, a pottery class, go do it. Why not? Who knows? You might have exactly. an audition in, like, two months and it's like, we need somebody who has slammed some clay down before. I'm sure Patrick Swayze said that after he did Ghost. He was like, I'm so glad I took that, that killing that class. That one pottery class. Um, so you moved to LA. You finish out yeah. your poli sci degree. How do you make this transition into acting? What like what was that like for you? Well, it wasn't really a, a transition. I mean, I, you know, I really was pursuing my acting career the whole time that I was going to school. What's going on here? Well, Michelle... Hold on. Some weird thing popped up. Oh. Do you see anything on your screen? No. If it doesn't bother you. I don't see anything. Um, yeah. So um, I I got into a really good acting class. I started studying with Ivana Chubbuck and later Roy London. Love her. And that was, yeah, she was great. And it was an extraordinary um, experience being in both of their classes because there's so many people that are, you know, now famous working actors. And it was a very exciting electric kinetic class to be in mm. um, it was one of probably you know three or four classes that was kind of the class to be in uh, back in the late 80s yeah um, and you know I, I was relentless I mean I, I had no connections in the business I didn't know a whole lot about it but I was just um, very naive and I think that naivete um, gave me the um, confidence to knock on a lot of doors that maybe I wouldn't have the confidence to knock on now. Yeah, well, I think too, and correct me if I'm wrong, I get the feeling, because even when I was younger, you know, there's a bit more of a hustle to it. Now you can like post an Instagram post and it's like, oh, well, I'm doing my part for the day of keeping my career up or I'm doing whatever. (laughs) It but back then it was like, I'm literally gonna go to CBS Radford and drop off my headshot so that somebody sees me. Exactly. You know, and the the thing that I think a lot of actors now take for granted, I mean, first of all, it's amazing that we can do these things through Zoom and we can self-tape, right? But I mean you know, moving to Los Angeles from Boston and not really, you know, it's, a, it's a, an expansive city and there was no NAT system. You had to use this thing called the Thomas Brothers yes. guy, where you were literally using coordinates literally, and figuring I out. I need to get a Q2. Okay, I got it. Abject frustration that would sometimes happen in the car when you're late for an audition and lost was just crazy making, right? I know. And so, you know, fortunately, that's not something that... um uh, actors have to deal with now. Uh, I completely lost my train of thought between the, the uh, it's okay. uh, between the COVID, the fire engine, and the, uh, the Thomas the, Brothers the, all guy. All the things that it got a little. Yes. 
Um, that's all right. Well, we were talking about, um, you know, you hit the ground running when you came out here and you were doing the grind and doing the hustle. So what was like the, what was the first payoff for you? Like the first thing that you booked where you were like, oh, dang, okay, I'm on the right track. Here I go. Well, the first thing I booked and the first thing that told me I was on the right track were two different things in my career. Mm. Um, I had been working as a uh, food runner at a a very kind of hip uh, Melrose Avenue restaurant. I wasn't even good enough to be a waiter. I was a food runner. I was like the gopher for the waiter. <laughs> and it was really just miserable. And I ultimately, um, once, once again, my foray into the food service industry did not work out with all the yeah. hope and uh, promise that I had. Yeah. So uh, about two weeks later, I wanted to a, a lead role in, in my first professional project ever. It was a horrendous horror film. Um, <laughs> Just, just, yeah. Um, but shortly after that, I did wind up getting a, a, a guest star role on a show on uh, Fox. I, what was it called then? It was called, I think it was called Fox Television. Hmm. Uh, it was called Werewolf. And uh, that was like a legit role. And that was what was telling me, okay, I, this is, I'm, I'm at least moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, gosh, I don't know. I would say less than a year later, I got Karate Kid 3. And at that point, everything, you know, really began to change for me. Right. So what was what was that like? I mean, you're joining a franchise that is already so popular and so beloved. Mm. Did, was there a sort of pressure with that? No, there wasn't a sort of pressure. There was tremendous pressure. Yeah. Um, you know, first of all, I, I got it from an open call. And wow. And if you know anything about the business, which I know you do, but, you know, an open call is generally a publicity stunt. I mean, it's, you know, this third installment uh, of the franchise. Um, They basically opened the doors and said, anyone who wants to audition for the role of uh, Mike Barnes can do it. And 1,500, maybe 2,000 people showed up. They saw like 10,000 people for the the role between the actual casting director and the open call. And... um, so I get the role and I mean, you know, I, I've said this in many interviews. I, I was a guy that bought a ticket to see the Karate Kid and the Karate Kid 2, you know, just a few years before. And now here mm-hmm. I am. Now I'm the guy filming with Mr. Miyagi and with Daniel-san. And, and you know, I had to very quickly get over that pinch me moment and realize that there was a job to do. And, you know, I was very much an unproven commodity. So the producers were really, really on me. They were very mm-hmm. strict. Um, it was, um, it was, it was a very hard film to make because of all the physicality, the, um, uh, the choreography that we had to learn, mm. uh, not to mention that it was my, my first big, big project, a studio film. And, you know, right. there's a completely different vernacular that's used on a, a film set. And yeah. so I was constantly hearing words I didn't understand. I had no concept wow. of lens, camera angle. Um, you know, anything like that, lighting, finding my light. I mean, so I had to learn everything on the fly and, mm. and it was difficult. Um, and, and there was a learning curve. Um, but you know, by, by the end of the film, um, you know, it, they, they felt that I, I delivered what they wanted, but they didn't let me know that until the very, very end, because I don't think they were sure of it until yeah. we shot the final climactic tournament scene at the all Valley tournament. Um, and you know, that's really when the director, John Avelson, who had won the Academy Award for Rocky and directed the other Karate Kid films, he turned, he turned me loose. He, he really let me ad lib. And the majority of all of my dialogue mm. 
pretty much everything was strongly ad-libbed. Wow. And I don't know where it came from, but, you know, it, it, it was there. And so, you know, it worked. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think when you're, especially when you're on a, on a film set, you've, you've lived in this character for a while. And so when you've yeah. gotten to that point, it's, it's almost easy to say, I know what he's going to say. I know what he's thinking. I know how to do this. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was, I was training in martial arts every day. They, Wild. the production really made a concerted effort to keep me and Ralph Macchio separated. You know, I very much wanted Ooh. to be his friend and they did that because they did not want us to develop any kind of uh, friendship. Yeah. Right? They didn't and, want and so that the, chemistry on screen. Right. Right. And so I think actually in retrospect, they were, they were wise to do that. Um, wow. Yeah. And you know, I was this young, I was this young 21 year old kid full of piss and vinegar and, what I certainly lacked in, um, you know, acting experience, I, I had that sort of youthful exuberance and, and, you know, probably arrogance and, and it tied into the character. <laughs> it's good to be naive sometimes. It is. Right? It's very good. Wow. That's, that's wild. I mean, what a, what a crazy franchise to join at such yeah. a young age too. I mean, my God, the, just the, the pressure, I can't imagine. Um, I can't imagine that because it's it's so much, and people really don't realize it. They don't realize that when you're joining a franchise that's you know very successful, you know they get excited oh, yeah. for you, but they don't realize that it's like, no, this is you know these people think of these things in like life or death situations, and we know it's not. But those producers, they think that way, and that's terrifying. Um, yeah, it is. But you know what? In retrospect, there's no better experience than, I mean, look, acting class is important. It's very important. And, and doing plays is fantastic. Mm. But if you want to work in films or television, working on, you know, a studio film for five months, you're going to learn something or you're going to get fired. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 you know, um, I, I learned, I learned a tremendous amount that was, you know, able to help me grow a little more as an actor and make me a little more prepared for the next job mm-hmm. and a savvier about the business of acting. Um, you know, they, they sent me on a 12 city publicity tour because Ralph and Pat didn't want to do it. They'd done it. Right. Right. And so imagine going to 12 different cities and I've got to deal with the press in each one. And I learned how to deal with the press. I learned how to you know, speak in sound bites, how to be concise, how to know what to say, what not to say. And it was like, it, it was an amazing education, mm. uh, which has served me so well later in life because, you know, actors have to be able to be their best press agent. You know what I mean? They really have to be savvy about that stuff, but you know, no one really tells you how to do it. I was fortunate that I was thrown to the lions and, mm. and, you know, I learned. Yeah. Well, and fortunate too in the fact that it was, you know, in an age where we did not have TikTok where they could replay your one mess up or, you know, it didn't end up on YouTube saying like, oh, Sean Kanan said this on the red carpet. It's like, you know, that kind of stuff today is terrifying to me because that stuff just lives forever and it's out there. And it's like, you know, there's so many people who just they just freak out over like one comment and obviously there well, are comments to freak out about, but you know, there's, there's other things where you just misspeak. 
we live, we live in a society where people are way too frequently looking for reasons to be offended. Yeah. You know? And if you, if you look for a reason to be offended, you're going to find it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's this, there's this thing called Hanlon's razor mm. and I'm probably going to screw it up, but it basically says never attribute to malice what you can attribute to ignorance or stupidity. Wow. In other words, you know, a lot of times people say stuff and they're not trying to be maliciously thoughtless. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes people just say dumb stuff and I, I don't think that that really merits eradicating them as human beings. Yeah. You know, I mean, look, there are, certainly things where people deserve to be canceled and all of that stuff. Yeah. But I think we need to take a collective big breath and treat each other with some more compassion and understanding. I agree. I agree. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet, and if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts. Um, so back to your journey. So you do Karate Kid Part 3, and you do this press tour, and then what happens immediately after? Does something happen immediately after? Do you go back yeah, to auditioning? Um- yeah, no, I had to go back auditioning, but I, I, I then from there was hired by Francis Ford Coppola to do uh, The Outsiders. Mm. Um, that was the hottest series in town. Everybody wanted to be a part of it. It was based on the novel by S.E. Hinton, which yeah. I grew up reading. Uh, and ironically, uh, Ralph Macchio starred in the film, The Outsiders, <laughs> Tom Cruise and Patrick Swayze and you know all those amazing guys. And um, I got the role of uh, the leader of the, the Socias, which was the Rich Kids Gang. Fun. And again, very surreal. Like I, I was on my couch reading this when I was a kid. It was sort of after the catcher and the rye phase and I got a little older, <laughs> became the SE. Um, I did that. And uh, then I wound up doing a, a television movie, uh, which was produced by Oliver Stone. Wow. And then the phone kind of stopped ringing. Mm. And I realized that I was getting these roles, as I said, kind of, youthful, good looks, exuberance, force of personality, all that stuff. But if I was really going to make that leap to the next level, um, I had to go back and I had to really, you know, further my education and ability as an actor. And so Mm. I decided to do a play and I did a play. That is so uh, key. Every single one of my acting teachers has always said, if you feel lost as an actor, go do a play. 
they're absolutely right. I did a play called Irish Coffee, which was a hit in New York. Uh, they brought the play out to LA and I, I not only took on a play, but I took on a play where I, uh, you know, had to do an English accent and it was, it was really challenging. And it was the, again, the best thing I could have done. Mm-hmm. Um, and a little while later, um, you know, I, I booked other jobs, booked more TV jobs. And, um, then I, I, I got a call to go screen test for, uh, general hospital. Mm. Um, they were looking for a guy to play Steve Burton's brother, uh, on general hospital. And, and Steve and I were good friends. And we, when we were younger, just had a, a striking resemblance. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was really, uh, th- those were in my crazy years. And so I, you know, Steve would walk into a bar or something and they would be like, get the hell out. And he'd be like, Canaan, Canaan, they think I'm shy. It was me. I'd been there the weekend before, um, and uh, uh, probably you know misbehaving terribly. Yeah. Um, um, so that was kind of funny. Um, and uh, then I yeah, so I screen tested for that, and um, I got the role. So that's what started my career in uh, daytime television in 1992. Yeah. I started soap operas, and you know I have left and come back more times than I can count. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know I've done. Films. I've done, you know, lots of other stuff, but I've always come back to uh, daytime, um, which has been wonderful to me. Um, um, you know, I've, I also, I also started formulating plans to get into producing, and yeah. uh, I think it was in about two thousand. I, I produced my first thing in about nineteen ninety four, which mm. was a thirty minute. Um, short which did very well 94 Um, okay you have to talk me through this because you have to talk me through like the sound mixing of a film like a real film on film not on a computer like tell me everything as a producer how was that it was it was amazing and again it was an absolute um learning curve you know i mean um made lots of mistakes learned lots of things yeah uh, uh, you know, I was lucky to have enlisted some very smart people for post, um, who guided me through the process. Uh, and, and I learned a whole lot and I think I really fell in love with film there because I fell in love with film in, 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 in the sense of emulsified film, as opposed to what we do now, which is largely digital. Yeah. Um, because I went through the whole process, uh, and I was I was very proud of it. It was called Oasis Cafe, oh. and and years later I, I produced my first feature film, which was called March, and I did that with uh, my best friend from my hometown in Pennsylvania, um, and I played the lead role. And and then later um, I I wrote a film called uh, Chasing Holden, which Lionsgate distributed, uh, and and that was a you know it was a small film, it was a couple million dollar film, but I mean I was moving uh, up into bigger projects, yeah, and. I did most of those while I was working on one soap or the other. And I've continued doing that. I mean, obviously Studio City and, um, you know, my, my writing and producing has always been important to me. And I, I've always felt that as, as an actor, if you really want to achieve any kind of success, it's so hard. And the, the odds are sort of stacked against most people that you're just going to kind of have a, a straight vertical trajectory in your career and that you're not going to have, you know, points where things have cooled down. But if you can, if you can be 
a multi-pronged performer yeah. with with producing and with writing and acting you know one might be firing when the other isn't yeah and so you're all sort of like doing this you know what i mean <laughs> what is that called like a double punch or something um yeah uh, <laughs> i don't know i mean climbing I don't know um yeah no it's it's true especially now like it's you know there's so many different ways to be a multi-hyphenate um creator now you can have a podcast you can be directing you can be writing you can be producing acting be a musician like there's so many things that you can be doing and all of it is going to help the other thing all of it accumulates and all of it becomes something larger it accumulates and it's interconnected too. Yeah, it's totally interconnected and I think I think you're right on this on that right track where, you know, it's it's so cool that you realized it at a time that was really ahead of everybody else where you said yes, I, I can do everything. <laughs> um you know, I, I sometimes I joke that I don't know that I ever would have done everything if you know, I would look if, if I was being offered one film after the other, I probably wouldn't do everything. But then again, I would. I mean, I would. I know yeah. I would segue into directing and produce. So that's not true. I think it's just sort of that's in my DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a very sort of industrious um, and inquisitive part of my personality that likes to try new things. And, and yeah, so, I also um, suffer from that. It is a rough life. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> It is something you suffer from sometimes yes. with intermittent intermittent flashes of um, reward, I guess. Yeah. And uh, yeah, um, but, um, that's great. I can't stay can't stay still. I feel that I started this podcast during you know the first lockdown be like, because I like could I, not stay still. I can be still. Like I have learned how to still myself, which is very important mm. philosophically, yeah, and and spiritually, but. But when I'm in the creative mode, I, I, I really like to just keep moving and doing, and it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I mean, mm-hmm. I've got all sorts of different outlets. And, and with Michelle, my wife, who's my creative partner, she's so creative and got so much stuff going on that we're sometimes like two little atoms bouncing off the walls <laughs> together. Well, I'm the atom bouncing off the wall. She's the one that's like focusing it into a laser. So it, it, it works out to be a really uh, good relationship that way. That's amazing. Um, so on this show, we like to share audition stories. Uh, that can be oh. like sad ones, bad ones, funny ones. Do you have one that you'd like to share with the listeners? Well, I, I have one, but I'm hesitating to tell it and trying to find something that's more benign. Um, I screw it, I'll tell it. So <laughs> for, for the uh, for the first tour film that I did... Um, hey! It it got down to me and one other guy, and they asked us both to come into a um, conference room, and there were men and women there, and they I, they told us to take all our clothes off. And I, I, I was like, we looked at each other, and they said, we have to check for tattoos. <gasps> and I was like, check for tattoos? I, I didn't know any better. I took my clothes off. I didn't know any better. And, and in retrospect, it was so humiliating. Um, it wasn't at the time. Oh, really. my God. It just felt weird. Um, and so years later, I was producing a film called Hack. And we had to see an actress's breasts because she was going to do a topless scene. And I just, uh, I said, okay, I'm leaving the room. And um, I said, Any, anyone else obviously is leaving the room. I want one woman to stay here. And I wanted to make sure she felt comfortable. And I, I was, 
you know, I saw that as my opportunity to um, never, ever make somebody felt, feel the way that I felt during that experience. Um, and it kind of it kind of really stayed with me. And it, I didn't really start thinking about it a lot till the whole Me Too thing happened. And um, I mean, on, on what planet would that ever happen again? I mean, it just wouldn't, right? Uh, you know, I mean, if you, if you had to do a screen test no, or not now. a love scene for some reason, you certainly would wear underwear. It was just bizarre, you know? And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, we have so many different things, especially within sag, the union, that protect us against um, that type of stuff. And, uh, yeah, so that happened. But, um I'm a firm believer in attaching positive stories to things so that they empower you. And this, you know, the story I attached is that, you know, this was a lesson that taught me that I I would never want anyone else to feel like that. And as a producer myself to do my absolute best to ensure that never happens. And that's, I mean, yeah, that's, that's huge. And that's a great thing that you've done and you've you've you know put into your own work and how you deal with actors it's very easy to be taken advantage of as an actor especially when you're young and you're new and you you don't know what's right and you're so you know you don't know what you're supposed to be looking for in the form of a job because you spend so much time going out and i think as a Mm -hmm. young actor I, I didn't know this lesson. It's taken me a very long time that you, you have to learn that you can't be attached to the results. You have to stay in the process and that the results are out of your hands. And, and so for that reason, mm-hmm. I get much less, to, much less attached to auditions. It doesn't mean I don't put a hundred percent into them and it doesn't mean that I don't want the job, but I'm able to, once I'm done distance myself, I would say about, Usually about 90%. And if it's something I really, really want, like 70%. But I used mm-hmm. to have these these crushing and yeah. anguish-riddled um, moments where I didn't get something. And God, I can, I can vividly remember multiple times, literally, just not literally, figuratively, literally, just, just throwing furniture in my, in my apartment and just, just abject... You know why? Why isn't it happening? Yeah. What am I doing wrong? And and of course that was self defeatist and not helpful. And and you know it took me a long time to, to 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 learn to take that emotionalism and put it into the audition, not put it into the result of the audition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's hard though. It's hard. I mean, there's definitely been at least, you know, three or four in, in my career that have gutted me so badly that you just like lay in your bed sobbing because there's nothing else you can do. And it's, you know, it's just, I've, it's taken me a long time to get here, but I finally looked at, you know, this way of life yes, as absolutely. my job is the audition. You have to look at it if that I way. book it, that's you really the bonus. Do. You got to stay in the process, that's stay the out bonus. of the results. Find something positive that happened. Did somebody that wasn't previously familiar with your work get to see it? Did you get to prepare for a role that was a little outside of your wheelhouse? Um, You know, do a self Mm Hmm. What did I learn from this person? What did I have to learn to be this person? I mean, that's that's the fun of it. Um, Well, I've had such a joy 
talking to you. I feel like we could talk for hours. Um, <laughs> uh, but before we, we wrap this up, I just want to quickly tell yeah. everybody that they need to watch Studio City. You guys won yeah, an Emmy last year. For the prime time category. You're, you're in contention uh, for some exciting. more. And uh, yeah, please. Uh, you know, Studio Amazing. City is is uh, been a labor of love. It's got some terrific actors, Kristen uh, Rogers and Carolyn Hennessy and uh, Phil Bruin. I just... Uh, my, my lovely stepdaughter, Juliet Vega, and um, uh, please give it a try. Yeah, I, I've been saying this everywhere. So Amazon was going to get rid of all of its short form content. And so without telling any of the creator producers who have short form content, they slapped a 99 cent fee on every episode. That was completely done um, unbeknownst to us. And, oh, no. and the alternative was they were going to take it all down. Uh, so apologies in advance wow. for people having to pay that. If I had my way i would be giving it away for free but unfortunately you know there is a fee but look at it as your contribution to the arts uh, I, I was gonna say you know what that's a contribution exactly. to indie filmmaking uh, listen, and you know it's best of luck with your career take it as too. Well. <laughs> you know, i've really enjoyed watching uh, your success over the years and i look forward to the chance where we'll have a, an opportunity to work together again and uh, yeah yeah because we did acting we dead but i don't together. think we were in any scenes yeah. together yeah <laughs> well thank you thank so much you for so coming much. on the I show i wish you the person. best of luck this year yourself, at the primetime emmys and um such a joy thanks again to sean for coming on the show if you haven't watched studio city go check that out on amazon right the second it's super fun and you know it's really cool to see somebody who's been in the business for so long and has had such great success uh out there making his own work and his own um his own vision come true and that's what i leave you all with today is go out there and make something that you want to make because that's what you want to do um it's super fulfilling and it feels great to just do it. If you're like, Jillian, I can't do that. I'm not, I don't have the money to pay all the professionals to do all the things. Look, I'm not telling you to go out there and like shoot a multi-million dollar film. But if you, the person listening to this right now, has like a short film idea or, you know, a five minute little skit idea and you have two friends, get those two friends, make it and, you know, put it on TikTok, put it on YouTube whatever. doesn't matter. Or keep it for yourself. Just know that you could do it. It's fun. It's great. It's a good release. Any who's a goal. Um, gonna get off my soapbox here. Uh, tune in next week for another episode. If you haven't yet, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever it is that you're listening to it right now. And uh, leave us some love. Leave us some reviews, some stars. It really helps. And as always, thanks for coming in. Have you ever watched a futuristic sci-fi movie and wondered, but wait, could any of this really happen? And will I live long enough to see it? That's what our show Hypothetical is about. I'm Carrie Bechet, and on this podcast, we ask what-if questions about the future. Like, what if we could read minds? What if the world's digital data was erased all at once? What would happen if the Yellowstone supervolcano erupted? Then we explore that question two ways, through speculative science fiction and through dialogue with brilliant scientists. 
The result is a genre-bending narrative that's interwoven with real facts provided by literal geniuses. And, spoiler alert, a lot of the science fiction out there, it's not nearly as far-fetched as you might think. Come time travel with me into the future on Hypothetical. New episodes on Tuesdays available on all your favorite podcast apps. Just search Hypothetical. That's H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L.